A you like better. Now, I do, I do not want, you cannot do this. This is the rule. You cannot look at your neighbor and say, what A is that? You can't do that. If you talk, you're, that's cheating. Don't cheat. So I just wanted to kind of give you an idea that in life, we run across things that are just absolutely debatable. And, um, and it seems to me that Americans just love to debate, right? There's just something about that. So I'm going to show you some A's. I'm going to show you all three. And then we'll go back through them. And then by applause, we'll know which the best one is, right? So that's the first one. Wait, 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 wait. I said no response right now. You aren't playing by the rules. You're already cheating. No cheating. So that's an A. Okay, look at it. Okay. This one's a little confusing because there's more than an A. But that's an A. And then that's an A. Now, by way of applause, we will start with this A. Who believes that this A is just absolutely beautiful? You are dismissed. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, what about this A? And no booing. We can't boo. We really all need to be applauding this next one. How about that A? Woo! Right? <laughs> there's, there's another category. Who cares? So we could debate all day long which one of these, right, just looks the best. And I think we probably would all land on this one. But that's something that's debatable, right? What you can't debate is that those A's represent a university, right? You have the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa. And then you have Auburn University. I remember one time I called it from the pulpit, the University of Auburn. That was not good. And then, of course, the final A that you saw is the University of Arkansas, or God's University, however you'd like to put that. So, we can debate what looks better, but there's no debate on the fact that each of these represents a university, okay? By the way, I would encourage you, if you've never been to Fayetteville, it's a beautiful little college town. Just trying to encourage you, all right? Well, this morning, we want to deal with things that are debatable and not debatable. Now, I've given you a handout. Anybody not receive a handout? Because you really need that handout, okay? Because um, I wanted to read the introductory thoughts that I put together for you this morning to kind of get us going, okay? In the New Testament, there are scores of passages that address the importance of loving one another. One cannot and should not attempt to get around this repeated theme in the New Testament. And we can agree on that, right? We shouldn't try to do that. While one may know the command to love one another, there can be a time of negligence in the life of any believer, 
It is vital that one would measure their love for the entire body of believers, each and every one. We can't miss folks, right, that belong to the Lord. That means they might not be sitting in this sanctuary. Um, There are many believers that are not sitting in this sanctuary. But the command to love each and every believer is there. Can we agree on that? That's what it says. The disciples spent a great deal of time with the Lord Jesus, who demonstrated agape love. We know that scene in John 13 where he washed the disciples' feet. And then it says, when Judas leaves the upper room, the Lord Jesus begins his discourse. There's quite a bit of discourse there in chapters 13 through 17. And one of the initial subjects that he begins with is love. So as we look at this section in 1 John, we should ask the Lord where we can improve in our love towards one another. Can we do that? So, hey, Lord, we just want to know where we can improve. How can we love one another better? Maybe it's that I haven't thought about a person in a while and I really need to think about love. Now, specifically, this is agape love, and agape love is an active love. Okay, It's not just this verbal, hey, I love you, but there's action to it. It involves action. In fact, um, John MacArthur has a great quote on love that I really like. He says, agape love is the love of self-sacrificing. This is a volitional choice and is not necessarily towards someone who is attractive or lovable. You say, well, Thad, surely no one has a problem loving me because I'm attractive and lovable. But have you ever thought that you might be that person to another person that's not attractive and lovable? You ever thought about that? That's something to think about. I'm quite certain that there are some who have a difficult time loving me within the body of Christ. That's something that you have to just accept. Not everyone is the same. We're all different. There's some apples and there's some oranges and there's some pears and there's some tangerines. We're all different. We're not all the same. And so isn't it really a challenge to truly love one another, everyone within the body of Christ? It is. Um, I ran across a story that kind of illustrates this selfless, self-sacrificing love, and I thought it was a tremendous story to kind of get our thoughts moving in the direction of, of loving one another. There was, during the Korean War, a young communist, communist officer, officer ordered the execution of a Christian civilian. And this Christian civilian ran an orphanage. That's a good thing, right? And so when the communist officer found out that this man was running an orphanage, he decided not to shoot him, but to shoot his son. And so he shot the 19-year-old boy, and he did so in the presence of his father. Later, when the tide of events changed, this same officer was captured, he was tried, and he was condemned to death because of his war crimes. But before the sentence could be carried out, the Christian father, listen to this, pleaded for the life of this communist who had killed his son. He admitted if justice were followed, this man should be executed. 
But since he was so young and blindly idealistic, he probably thought that his actions were right. You know what he said? Give him to me. I'll take him. And I'll teach him about the Savior. Well, they granted the request. And that father took the murder of his son, introduced him to the Savior. That man came to know Christ and became a Christian pastor. <laughs> I read that I was like, wow. What an illustration of agape love. To begin with, obviously it wasn't between two brothers, but he illustrates for us the thought or the idea of what agape love is. How does that look? I ran across a, a, a quote by one of the early church fathers, Jerome. It's in your notes. He said that when the apostle John was in his extreme old, old age, he was so weak that he had to be carried into the church meetings. And at the end of the meeting, he would be helped to his feet to give a word of exhortation to the church. Invariably, he would repeat, little children, let us love one another. Well, when you get just tired, tired of hearing that, it's the same message over and over and over again. And the disciples began to grow weary of the same words every time. And they finally asked him why he always said the same thing over and over again. And this was his reply. Because it is the Lord's commandment. And if this only is done, it is enough. So when I thought about that, I thought, you know, I wonder how many times John thought of that upper room discourse and the instruction from the Lord Jesus to love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. Well, as we come to this section on love in 1 John 4, it is the longest section that John spends on this subject of love. But it's critical that we give attention to each and every verse. And so this morning we're going to try with the help of the Spirit to go through 7 through 11. And I wanted to present to you some things, first of all, that are debatable. So these things are not primary things. They're secondary things. And in Christianity, these things are debated. And as you know, since we've been going through 1 John, there's this relationship-fellowship debate that's going on. Okay, that's just the truth. And there are really good theologians on both sides of the aisle. And my intention is not to bury one or another. It's just to present the views, and you go home, and you work on that, and you study that, and you ask the Lord, what is, what is it that you want me to learn from this? And we can still fellowship together, isn't that great? And we can still love one another, but it, it would be um, negligent on my part not to present both views. If I just came here and said, look, there's just one view and this is it, that would be wrong to do. I'm not going to do that. I can't do that. So I do want to give you um, the views, and I, as you know, I've mentioned this several times, I have the fellowship view. So that's just my view as I've studied through 1 John. The first thing that's debatable in the uh, section here in 1 John uh, concerning love is that all true, 
believers love other believers habitually? So my question would be this, does that happen? Is that true? Is that something that goes on? Or are there seasons of life where my love for other believers is just not there? It's not what it should be. Um, we see in 1 John chapter 4, he plainly tells us to love one another three times, one in verse 7, one in verse 11, one in verse 12. The expectation of John was that these believers would love one another. The expectation of Jesus with his disciples was that they would love one another. We got that, right? That's the expectation. But then the reality for Christians is there may be times in my life where I am not loving each and every believer with this agape love that is not manufactured on my part, but it is as I am in close fellowship with the Lord Walking by the Spirit. This is not something that you just muster up. Agape love is something only believers can do. It comes through the help of the Holy Spirit. It's as we are abiding in the Lord Jesus. So that's a debatable subject. Um, and hey, if you want to talk about it with me, I'm more than happy to do that. Should we habitually love other believers? Answer, yes. But when we truly measure that, okay, not just a glance, but a measurement. Hey, Lord, am I showing agape love to this brother, to this sister, to this brother, to this sister? Or have I just said, Lord, I'm going to demonstrate agape love to this, 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 this person. But man, I can't do that with this person. But you know what? You'd be surprised. If you ask the Spirit of God to control you and you're in close proximity and walking with the Lord, you can love even this person. Right? The Lord can do that through you. And so that's one of the debatable issues in this particular section. Um, the second debatable issue here is that if a professing believer is not loving, he or she is not born again. Is that what the text says? Look what the text says, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. But it does not say here, unless you've got something else in your Bible, notice the text does not say that if one is not loving, they are not born again. That's not what it says. Some people would say, oh, you just naturally deduce that. Well, but that's not what the text says. The text says here in verse 7, everyone who loves is born of God. But it does not say those who aren't loving aren't born of God. Wouldn't that be a troubling statement when you think about it? This is my, from my perspective because there's times in my life when I'm not loving my brothers and sisters like I need to. And wow, that if you're not loving your brother and your sister like you need to, you're not born again. That's not what the text says, okay? The text emphasizes that those who are born again love. That's what we do, right? But it doesn't say that those who don't love are not born again. I think that's a, that's a tough one. That's one you might have to chew on this afternoon, right? Find something chewy to eat for lunch and chew on that. You could, I like those, uh, what do you call those little brown sticks? They come in a package. They're little skinny sticks, brown Slim Jim 
And I like the Slim Jim. Don't give me something fake. I want the Slim Jim, right? Don't give me another product. I like those. You chew on those. Pick you up one of those this afternoon and chew on that, right? Some are saying, ugh. Well, it's really good. You ought to try it, all right? And sometimes you can find some with packages and they have cheese in them, right? I guess, I don't know if you dip the cheese or whatever. I've never bought one of those. I like it just the way it is, all right? So this might be something that you would want to chew on because John in the passage says here, he simply says, one that loves is born again. So I don't know that you can deduce that one that's not loving is not born again, okay? That's not what the text says. Okay, third point of argument in verses 7 and 8. If a professing believer is not loving, he or she does not know God. Well, that's what the text says. It says here, verse 8, the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So what is the debate there? The word no. Okay, so the question becomes, is John speaking about relationship or fellowship as it relates to this word no? Well, if you go back to chapter 2, verse 3, the first time we see this word no, listen to what John says there. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Well, but how does one come to know the Lord? By keeping his commandments or by trusting Christ? So I think that there's an argumentation. You just need to be aware of it. Okay, throughout the book, and I've mentioned this, but you need to keep it in your mind. There is a running argument as it relates to this issue of relationship and or fellowship. And so what I did was I pulled from two men um, who have different viewpoints. One is John MacArthur. His viewpoint is that there are multiple audiences in mind as you write, as he write, as John wrote. And so he allows for that. So when you see some of the statements he makes, you go, oh, that seems really harsh. He's just reflecting his view, okay? That's what you need to understand, all right? He's not taking a gavel and beating you over the head. These statements he makes are just reflective of his view. Now, I happen to disagree with him, but I love John MacArthur. I love uh, the things that he writes. My goodness, how many books do I have on my shelf that have him there? But nonetheless... I have a different viewpoint of uh, than he does. I got to shake John MacArthur's hand one time. He has a huge hand. Do you know he played wide receiver in college? Any of you didn't know that? That's just that's a quiz question. Um, when I shook his hand, it's like he just took my hand with him. You ever shaken one of somebody's hand like that? Well, so he says here that the Apostle John is emphasizing that those whose lives are not characterized by loving others are not Christians. In fact, no matter what they claim, everyone God has saved in the past continues to give evidence of their salvation. That would be something I might have issue with too because I don't believe that that always happens. There are times when we look like, and we've already discussed this, when we look like we don't belong to the Lord. Okay, and listen, that's why as I was studying through this, I'm like, my goodness, how weighty was the statement that Jesus made to those disciples? The world will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. So when we leave this place, how are we interacting with other believers? How does that look? How does that happen? No wonder people are confused today. 
right? There's confusion today because we look like we hate each other at some points. I would say even we don't want to get into the debates over the last two or three years, but boy, there's been a lot of different, differing thought, have there not, about issues, and that has caused mass confusion because you have Christians going at each other. You know, if John had a little walker and he could walk up here, right, we're just using our imagination, he'd say, hey, let's love one another. That's what he'd say, all right? J. Dwight Pentecost, obviously coming from a different perspective, focuses in on fellowship, and you can tell that by the way that he writes. He says, A believer who is not loving cannot be living by the power of the new life in the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, that power is the Spirit of God that lives in us. Um, instead of looking at this as a negative thing, we say, Hey, look, we can live by the power of the Holy Spirit and love the unlovable. Pentecost writes, the believer who is not loving is being controlled by the old man. Now, some believe that when you come to Christ, the old man has been eradicated. All I know is this. I got saved in 1971. And this old man continues to come up. Right? I'm not sure. If I had, I don't even know how many days are between 1971 till now. A few since 1971 to now, how many times have I sinned against God? And then sins I don't even know about. Things that are displeasing to the Lord. So there's, you know, there's a lot to think about there. John keeps emphasizing the importance of loving one another because Pentecost writes of the joy and fellowship that obedience to Christ brings. So yeah, hey, look, we're all about the command to love one another. We should be. But there are differing viewpoints, and I'd say this. Look, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with asking the Spirit of God to examine you. Is there? No. We need the Spirit of God to examine us. Where are we in our relationship? Where are we in our fellowship? Right? So those things are debatable, and y'all can eat lunch and eat Slim Jims and discuss it. All right? By the way, you do need something to drink with Slim Jims because those things, and you'll need a toothpick with you. That stuff gets stuck in my teeth. I got, a few years ago, I had to get a tooth pulled, and, and, and it, I got this little hole in the back right side of my mouth. I keep snacks there. <laughs> Not intentionally, by the way. But if it's a good piece of cake, I might. All right. So what's debatable? Here's what's not debatable from these verses, verses 7 through 11. The first thing that's not debatable, we should love one another. <laughs> right? This is all the positive good stuff. We should love one another. In John's Gospel, I'll just give you these. You can read these later. In John's Gospel, chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, he speaks to his disciples. After Judas leaves the room... Love one another, love one another. In chapter 15, verse 12, and then verse 17, the same thing he repeats. Love one another, love one another. I wonder if those disciples were like, what? Because no, we know they all got along all the time, right? There are other references to this issue in the New Testament of loving one another. I want to just talk about two from this list. 
There are many others. If you took a Strong's Concordance, you could just wipe right through that and you'll figure it out. I would encourage you to do that and figure out what the author is trying to say about that issue of, of loving one another. But I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to go back to Galatians. I want to show you something. Galatians chapter 5, okay? Galatians chapter 5. What a great book. Galatians chapter 5. You should come out of Galatians knowing that you're free in the Lord Jesus Christ. At least I hope you do. And if you don't, come see me. <laughs> we'll study it together. All right? Galatians chapter 5. So, we get an indication on how we are to walk pretty clearly from Galatians chapter 5. I think there's some things, maybe a couple things misunderstood potentially as it relates to this particular section. Because as you know, beginning in verse 16 of chapter 5, he contrasts walking by the Spirit with walking by the flesh. You know, one of the things we don't have to teach our children is how to walk by the flesh. They're going to naturally do that. Even believers are going to at times walk by the flesh. That's why the warning, the, the, it's written to believers. Whoa, that was almost another catastrophe. Written to believers. The book of Galatians was written to believers. So as you come to chapter 5, he's talking about those things in the Christian life that you should do and the things in the Christian life that you should avoid. All right? In fact, notice the warning in verse 15. But if you divide, bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Oh, no, Christians don't bite and devour one another. That never happens. But it does happen. And so what's the key to maintaining that fellowship with the Lord? Verse 16 tells us. So that we will not bite and devour one another. He says, but I say walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. We can't say that enough. We can't emphasize that enough. That we are to walk by the Spirit. Well, how does that look? I need to be yielded to the Spirit of God every single day. I wake up saying... Holy Spirit, I need to give you my life today. I need to live for the glory of the Lord Jesus today. And the only way that that can happen is if your spirit, God, is controlling my life. Can we agree on that? Well, notice what he says. Walk by the Spirit. You will not carry out the desire of the flesh. And then he gives us a picture of this flesh. A pretty brutal picture. All right? Notice verse 19. The deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality. Does that happen in the world? Yes. You can participate. I said earlier you can talk, now you can talk. Yes. Does immorality happen within the church? Impurity. In the world, in the church, yes, all these things. Sensuality, idolatry, oh, that doesn't happen in the church. Well, yeah, it does. In fact, what's interesting is the way John closes out 1 John. You'll see that little last verse. So I've heard a, I heard a guy say one time, where did that verse come from? Because the way that the book ends is so instantaneous. It's just like, boom. 
Then he says, um, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissension, factions. Envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarned you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Doesn't say they won't be in heaven. Guys, listen to me. This book, when you study it, remember to keep in context he's writing to believers. Okay? We don't like to think of believers practicing immorality and such. It happens. Okay? And so when you get to verse 21, the debate is, is he talking about those that are not going to be a part of heaven? Or is he talking about the kingdom as it relates to what the inheritance is? So that's a whole other wonderful little subject that sometime we will get into. I think it's a tremendous subject. Now notice what he does. He contrasts then what it's like to walk by the flesh versus uh, walking by the Spirit. Notice what he says. But the fruit of the Spirit. So when I'm walking by the Spirit, here's the fruit of the Spirit. He doesn't say fruits. It's singular. He said, that was the big deal. Big deal, okay? These are not fruits. It's the fruit of the Spirit. So if I am walking by the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is on display. Are you listening to me? Because it's not you or me that's controlling anymore. It's the Spirit of God because we've yielded ourselves to Him. Does that make sense? That's a long explanation. But I think what the church has done is gone... Oh, it's this little box and this little box and this little box when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit. It's all-encompassing. If I am walking by the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is on display. Love, joy, peace, patience, all those things. Okay? So that's important to know. As you look at this list, question, does this list give to us the way that we should walk as believers. Yes, it does, okay? This needs to be on display. And I've heard people say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk by the Spirit, or excuse me, I'm going to evidence the fruit of the Spirit. Well, in order to evidence the fruit of the Spirit, you have to walk by the Spirit, okay? So that's a really key p- point as it relates to this issue of walking by the Spirit because he says the fruit of that is love, joy, peace, patience, all those things, all right? The other verse I wanted to kind of look at briefly with you is from Colossians chapter 3, verse 14. So you'll just have to flip a few pages. This is a really, really critical um, text, again, as it relates to how a believer lives the Christian life. Okay, how does a believer live the Christian life? Now this Philippians says... This I pray that your love may abound more and more. Thessalonians says, For yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Peter writes, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Well, right in the middle of that is Colossians 3. This is one of my favorite sections on how a believer is to dress. Notice what verse 12 says. Chapter 3, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, Put on a heart of compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, 
Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. You say, Thad, how am I going to forgive this person? How am I going to do all these things? Abiding in the Lord, walking by the Spirit. Abiding in the Lord, walking by the Spirit. Abiding in the Lord, walking by the Spirit. If you're like, hey, I can do this, you'll fail. Only the Spirit can give you victory in these areas. You pick out that person in the Christian life that you have a difficult time loving. Who's a believer? Okay? So... These are the things he says. Then you come to verse 14, and he says, beyond all these things. I mean, he just mentioned a lot of great things. He says, beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. So love is what brings unity. It's this. When there's not love, there's this. When there's love, there's this, right? So he says, put on love. Well, Here's the beautiful thing about imagery is like the picture here uh, in the original language is of someone putting on a, a, a coat, all right? So you need to have in mind somebody putting on clothing. So I need to put on these things. That's exactly what Paul is telling these believers in Colossae. Hey, put on all these things, right? And that's the key to that is understanding that Once those things are on, once I put on, right, it's the Spirit of God who's working through me to love other people, to be kind, to be compassionate, all those things, right? A lot to consider there. Again, you could chew on some of those verses this afternoon. All right, the second thing we see that's not debatable from this particular section is that love originated with God. Agape love originated with God. It's not that man can do that in and of himself. He can't. It's impossible. Right? Agape love originated with God. I think one of the most fantastic illustrations of that is John 3.16. You know the verse. For God so what? Agape'd the world. That's what the text says. For God so agape the world that he gave his one and only son. Right? It's a tremendous illustration of love. God demonstrated his love. We know the verse in Romans 5.8. He demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were what? Yet sinners Christ died for us. And one of the things that, I think I said this when I preached John 3.16. It's been a couple of years ago when I did that. Here's a verse that unfortunately has lost some of its luster with Christians. That's what I mean by that. They read John 3.16, they go, that's just too simple. That's too simple. Surely to be saved, there's more to do than to believe. But what does the verse say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him. You say, hold on a second, Thad. The demons believe. Well, yeah, they do. Different. The demons don't believe in the Savior like I believe in the Savior. I believe the Savior died for my sins. 
that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. I believe in the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. I believe. Do you? Are you trusting in him for your salvation? He said yes. Isn't that awesome? The little boy, he's listening. He said yes. Listen to me. God loved us so much that Jesus went to the cross. Say, that, explain it. I can't. I can't. But he loves me. You know the message of the, Paul to the Philippian jailer? What did the Philippian jailer ask Paul? What must I do to be saved? Well, you got to do A, B, C, and D. Is that what he said? No, he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. So it's important to understand that man doesn't muster up this agape love. We don't. We have to be abiding and walking by the Spirit of God. All right? Third thing here that should be no hesitation or argument is God is love. That's who he is in his essence. He is love. Um, I like what Stephen Cole says here. If you never listen to Stephen Cole, he's a good pastor, teacher. But I like what he says about this because people take this God is love and man, they're just like, he's love and he doesn't care about what people do and he, they, he just loves and, and they remove his justice. And Stephen Cole, in addressing that, said this. Almost everyone readily embraces that concept, meaning God is love. But it is often misunderstood and taken to unbiblical extremes. Some misconstrue it to mean that God is love because he overlooks or is tolerant towards sin. (laughs) Well, that's not true. Some go as far as to say that because God is love, he could never condemn anyone to the eternal punishment of hell. But there are going to be a lot of people condemned to hell because they rejected Christ. Okay? They rejected what we as believers have accepted. But the Bible is clear that God's love does not negate his holiness and justice or vice versa. I ran across a story of a farmer. He placed a weather vane and inscribed it with the words, God is love, on top of his barn. That's a good message, is it not? One day a traveler stopped by the farm and watched the weather vane moving with the breeze. And then with a smirk on his face, he asked, Do you mean to say that your God is as changeable as the wind? And the farmer shook his head and replied, No. What I mean to say is that no matter which way the wind blows, God is love. He's love. I don't know the source of this statement, but here it is. God is love implies much more than that God demonstrates his love. And I think a lot of times people get stuck with that, regardless of the circumstances. It means that love is the essence of God's character. It's who he is. He's love. So that's not debatable. And aren't we glad for that? We sang about that this morning. God is love. Well, the last one that 
um, John emphasizes is that God's love was made visible. And he does that in verses 9 and 10b. Look at 1 John. And I want to emphasize just one of these because we've already talked about some of these others in other texts. But 1 John chapter 4, verse uh, 9 and 10. By this, the love of God was manifested or shown, can be a, the word there, in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or satisfaction for our sins. We discussed that when we were back in verse Two of chapter 2, we talked about propitiation. So the question is for us to consider is, why did the Son of God appear? And First John tells us, the Son appeared to take away sins. The Son appeared to destroy the works of the devil. We talked about both of those things. We talked about that last one. That he appeared to be the satisfaction for our sins. He satisfied the wrath of God. But the one we haven't talked about is that third one. The Son appeared that we might live through Him. You say, okay, Thad, that, what is that talking about? Is that talking about eternal life? It is, but that's not all that He's talking about. When we think about having life, what comes to our mind as Christians? Eternal life. Should it? Answer, yes. But is that it? We're just looking forward to heaven, but we don't have eternal life now? Are we waiting to have eternal life? Or do we have it now? We have it now. And in this life, we could say, based on the scriptures, that we have, <coughs> excuse me, different from the world, we don't just have life, we have an abundant life. And that abundant life is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? And so he's talking more than just, hey, life in the future with the Lord. He's talking about, as you can see from verse 9, he says, um, By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son to the world so that we might live through him. When will we start living through him? When, at the moment of salvation. Okay? So there's a couple of texts that we need to um, look at that underscore the life that we have now and what the Lord intends for us in this life. And I'm going to ask you to go back in your Bibles to two more passages of Scripture. Galatians chapter 2, and then you can find Philippians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 2. When you come to know Christ, you have eternal life. Okay? And the life that you have is in the Son, the Lord Jesus. But listen to me. This life that we have through Christ is not just future. It is future, but it's not just future. And so many times you hear people talking about, man, I have life, I have eternal life, and, and they're thinking about heaven, and they're, that's great to do. 
But it's important that we understand this issue of life as it relates to the Christian life, what we have now. I don't think John's just referring here just to the life that's future. But I think he's also talking about the life that we have now, okay, that we live through him now. In fact, I think the word through there is critical because we're going to live with him, but right now we're living through him, okay? So when you come to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, we're familiar with the text, but look what, what Paul says. I have been crucified with Christ, buried with him, and it is no longer I who live. It's no longer me, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, he says... I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So what Paul, what's Paul doing? Man, I belong to the Lord. I got life in the future. That's not what he's doing. Yeah, he has life in the future, but he's talking about life now. And he even defines for us. This is pretty awesome. He says, life now is to be lived by faith in the Son of God. So I have eternal life through the Son of God, and I live through faith, daily faith, in the eternal Son of God. All right? Then there's another passage that you're familiar with, but this is really one that I think you probably ought to underscore many times. We read it, and we know it so well, we almost maybe take it for granted what Paul's saying here, but... In Philippians chapter 1, he says, by way of personal testimony, for me to live currently is Christ. To die is gain. That's a whole other sermon in and of itself. So he says, to live is Christ. So the question becomes for us to consider, this is for consideration, can I say for to me to live is Christ? I can say that, but then... Is that true in my life? Is that my testimony? That was Paul's testimony. He says, but I I am to live on in the flesh. This will mean serving self and retirement. Is that what he says? It's not what he says. He says, if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which one to choose. I love that verse. You know why I love that verse? There's no retirement in that verse. You say, yeah, Thad, but I don't know what I can do for the Lord because, man, I'm 75, 80 years old, and I'm tired. Well, I'm 58, and I'm tired. But I'll tell you this. The Lord can use you right where you are. He knows your days. He's got all those. So he's leaving you here for a reason. And that reason is exactly what Paul writes here in Philippians, fruitful labor, fruitful labor, fruitful labor. You say, I'm too old to go to the mission field. You're here, fruitful labor. God has you doing something. There are two people in my life that took a, a turn that I was just shocked by years ago. They were school teachers in the state of New York. Both had at least 25 to 30 years in the school systems in New York. Had a good retirement 
And they came to meet with me and, and Pastor Stam, and they said, we're going to the mission field. We believe the Lord wants us to do that. Now, a lot of people would look at the, man, you're nuts. You just made all this money. You got all this nest egg, and, and you're going to go do what? Well, if I'm to live on in the flesh, every single day there has to be the mind, Lord has left me here today for a reason, Okay? So, the Bible says in 1 John that God was made visible, meaning his incarnation. He was made visible that we might live through him. Can I ask you a question? Are you living the Christian life or are you just living? There's a difference. If we are living the Christian life, then it's simply said this way. Lord, whatever it is you want me to do, I'll do it. I'm yours. There's a missionary named Ruth Paxson. I didn't even know who she was. But I ran across the story and I really liked it. Ruth Paxson was a missionary in the 1920s to China. Um, she was an author. She went to Moody Bible Institute. She had a tremendous influence in China. And there's a story told of um, a visit that she had from a Chinese young man. And he was in his 20s to 30s. And he came to see her one day. And as he gets into the building, he talks with her about the things he needs to discuss. And then he turns around and, and he, he leaves. But there was already a person in there. He had told her, Ruth, that it would only take a minute. And so um, she said, hey, what have you come to see me about? And so they talked. And this young man was just standing there. And so after um, the young man left, this man who was standing beside Ruth, they were just there for a few moments, 15, 20 minutes. This is what the young man said after only meeting him for a brief time. He said to Ruth, he said, who was that young man? I never met anyone, he said, so instantly compelled, that instantly, excuse me, who instantly compelled me to think of Christ as he did. Christ had become the life of this young man. And already he was demonstrating that to other people. So the question becomes, what kind of mark are we leaving? Because we're leaving one. What kind of mark are we leaving? Well, I know this. When I come through this section, one of the things that hits me is the love of the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> There's a song that we all know, and it's a song entitled, or hymn entitled, And Can It Be? You know that hymn? It says, And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain? For me, who him to death pursued, amazing love, how can it be? 
that thou, my God, shouldst die for me. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? He left his Father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace. Emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all immense and free, for, oh my God, it found out me amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Let's pray together, all right? Father, we do thank you for the amazing love that you've demonstrated to us, and that while we were yet sinners, our Savior, Jesus Christ, died for us. In this life, Lord, we run across many things that spur conversation and even debate. But these last few things we've talked about are subjects that we all can agree on. And I pray that as we leave this place today, that we would have this in mind, that we would remember that you are love and that we would remember that love was demonstrated toward us and that we would remember the command that you gave the disciples and the one that was repeated over and over to them and over and over in the New Testament, that we would love one another and by doing this, the Bible says that all men will know that we belong to you. Help us, we pray, by your spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You guys are dismissed.